Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Michaelpreneur Podcast, a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. And today on the pod, we've got a world-class psilocybin mushroom cultivator and distiller of extractions. You know the podcast is popping when fools with code names start coming out of the woodwork looking for that feature. My freaky deaky fungi friends, enthusiasts, activists, culture collectors, geneticists, etc. Please give a warm welcome to Dinkelberg in his first ever speaking appearance on a public platform. Mushrooms has always been like this radical renegade type thing. You only need like a nanometer of tissue culture to grow an entire field of mushrooms. With cannabis, you're only seeing it last because like the big players can throw a lot of money at it and get their price per pound down pretty quick, right? With the mushroom climate, anyone with a two by four closet space, they can push out 10 pounds a month. Today we're talking about Senor Dinkelberg's strong showing and the most recent iteration of the Psilocybin Cup presented by Oakland Hyphae. We are talking about alchemy and the art of extraction and solvents and alembics and roto-evaps and things as such that I totally understand everything about. And I wasn't just nodding my head, picturing wizards and aliens while the dink drops knowledge on these cutting edge scientific endeavors. We're talking about the commercialization and commodification of nature, all that and a whole lot more. So everybody, please take a small to medium sized nibble of a cap or stem or both. And let's get this show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, we've got fungi cultivator and extraction extraordinaire, the proprietor of Bat Country Cultures, Dinkelberg, is here with us today. How's it going today, Senor Dinkelberg? Good morning, good morning. Early morning over here on the left coast, west coast, but uh, pretty good. How about you? I'm doing awesome, man. And Bat Country Cultures, I gotta say, I love the reference. I don't recall them actually taking mushrooms in the film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, though they very likely did. Let's get rolling with a little check-in on your participation and impressive finish and the most recent iteration of the Psilocybin Cup presented by Oakland Hyphae. I was pretty stoked to see the final results and rankings include a number of our friends and some former guests on the podcast here. And lo and behold, there you were, right in the middle of the pack, a very impressive finish on any account considering the caliber of the overall competition. So was that your first time submitting to the Psilocybin Cup? And how do you feel in general about competitive ranking in the world of Psilocybin potency? Okay, so that's actually an awesome question. You know, with my ranking, you know, middle of the line, I I submitted a normal gold cap. I was expecting, you know, somewhere in the middle. Uh, That's pretty much where I placed in the recreational category. Submitting wasn't really a contest to me. It, It was just to see, you know, what we're testing at you know gave us a direction on like what's potent and what's not and so with like cultivation and a lot of like the traditional market there's like the thought that like albinos are always more potent or like the uh like penis envy varieties are always more potent and it was interesting to see on on the board that that's just not the case you know it kind of comes down to cultivator and methods and Entering a, a regular strain, I put that in air quotes, having that rank where it did above some penis envies, some albino strains, it was interesting. You know what, next time I might enter more strains. Uh, this time I only entered one uh, just to dip my feet into the contest because uh, it, it was my first time. I, I would probably enter a couple, you know, maybe something a little bit more rare and something a little bit more 
commercial. Cool. Well, congratulations. Either way, it's a really awesome thing that this is happening. And I hope it spurs on more testing as more and more products get introduced out into the world and more and more people are starting to turn on to mushrooms and what they can do for the community at large. I really hope not just with psilocybin potency testing, but that it becomes standard for functional mushrooms as well, for people who are hawking cordyceps extracts and reishi extracts, because we're starting to see so many different people get into this game. So let's get all chemical with it. Let's get all chemical with it right now. Let's talk extraction. Okay, I know you're a specialist in extraction, and it was actually through doing this podcast that I first caught wind of the concept of double extraction as part of the medicinal mushroom tincture-making process, thanks to my friend Eric Mueller. Shout out Mueller's Mushrooms, a fellow San Diegan. And outside of high school chemistry, which was absolutely not my strong suit, talking with Eric was the first time I ever really heard about polysaccharides and how important how important it is that separate alcohol and water extractions take place to ensure maximum bioavailability and potency of tinctures. That's my cursory understanding of the process anyways. So, Senor Dinkelberg, what first got you into the very noble and arcane art of extraction and alchemy, and how has that fascination evolved over time to get you where you are today? Okay, so actually, this is a very personal story. Age 20, I came down with like a completely idiopathic, out-of-nowhere stomach disorder. I couldn't digest food at all. Around that time I got into weed and so immediately all the doctors were like, oh that's cannabis hyperemesis. I don't know if you've heard about this but it's apparently like this disorder that happens when the uh, CB1 and CB2 receptors get overstimulated and it, it, you uh, have a paradoxical reaction to the weed. Anyways, that's not what happened to me. I, I had some weird congenital defect with my stomach that was there since birth and it just reappeared. Got it fixed, whatever. But the issue is that, you know, after I had my time with weed, I was like, okay, I was very straight edge in high school, by the way, very straight edge. So transitioning to weed for like a medical purpose was like kind of odd for me. And then, you know, I realized like plants are medicine too. You know, it's, I I was stuck in like this one track thinking of like, I have to get my medicine from a doctor, you know, obviously, yes, you know, medical professionals are great, but it got to this point where I was taking like more holistic approaches being chronically ill, horribly depressed, I tried mushrooms. I loved it, but I tried, I, uh, I cultivated myself, and I, I, I tried the dried fruit bodies. Not the easiest thing on the stomach. Not to anyone. Um, so, from there, I started experimenting. Teas, tinctures, and then, so that, that those are basic extractions. The tea, great. You know, it, it's tea. Everyone has tea. It's easy on the stomach. You're not eating any fruit bodies. It was like the easiest way for me to consume for the longest time, and it helped with the depression, and you know, it helped me get through an extremely hard time in my life. With that interest, it started me on the the course of extractions because I was like, okay, literally, how can I bottle this magic and you know, take it on the daily, microdose it. So deep internet diving, I find like this old tech from uh, PF. So if that sounds familiar, are you familiar with PF Tech, brown rice flour? Okay, who isn't? Great guy. Well, he had this rudimentary extraction technique with ethanol, and he posted about it in the 90s, I think. So I started on that track. Eventually, I started looking at the chemistry of it. How can I extract it better? Turns out when you're doing tinctures like that with psilocybes, you're also co-extracting a enzyme that breaks it down over time. So if you have a tincture and you don't like keep it in the freezer or something, 
you lose potency extremely fast. So, you know, after a certain point, I'm thinking, how can I get around that? How can I develop a method that, you know, extracts quick and then like stops the enzymatic function? And that's basically what I've gotten to. Tinctures, very short shelf life if they have psilocybes in it. So it's definitely like an at-home thing that you're going to do, you know, and you just put it in a jar, let it sink into your ethanol, and then you, you know, filter it with cheesecloth or whatever, and that can be your medicine. Awesome. I'm doing a couple tinctures right now purely as a sort of trial and error experience because I had some fruiting body reishi and I had fruiting body cordyceps and fruiting body lion's mane. And I, without even trying to go way out of my way to order stuff, I got some 110 proof local Mayan corn liquor called Posh. So I don't know how that's going to test. It's not going to be ready for prime time, but I'm just excited to get my hands on the process and get some skin in the game because previously, like the tinctures I have right now are from William Padilla Brown and Myco Symbiote and various other people who have sent me stuff. So I do not actually, you know, I'm, I'm new to this whole thing. So it's really awesome to kind of pick your brain and get some more on the ground, in-person, applicable experience. And further along those lines, I'd love to talk about alembics, which for the non-Paracelsians among us, an alembic is an alchemical still or a chamber composed of two pots, preferably copper, that people use for the distillation of extracts and have historically used for plant and fungi essences, perhaps hash oils, as well as mezcal, among other things. And I mentioned to you at one point in our messaging back and forth that I want to get an Alembic. And then I got a targeted ad for a guild of craftsmen in Michoacan, Mexico, who hand build these epic copper Alembics. And it's just the most badass targeted ad ever, which feels like a dirty thing to say. But in this case, it's true. So I feel like I have to get one now. I want to know, do you have any experience with an Alembic? And if so, or if not, what kind of contraption do you use when you're making your extractions? Personally, no, not with an Alembic, but I, I use something kind of similar, works off similar principles. I use a roto evaporator, and then sometimes other extractors use short path, which also works off same principles, but under vacuum. Okay, so I use a roto evaporator to evaporate off. It's just so that I don't heat the solution too much. Basically, it's a chamber of glass. Within that chamber, you have a vapor tube and then another chamber. How can I explain this? Okay, so you have a flask that you have your solvent in, a vapor tube into a larger chamber, and then a flask below that. In that chamber, you have a cooled coil to collect the vapor from the heated flask of solvent. So you're like rotating the solvent under vacuum, gently heating it to get it to basically evaporate off and then recondense to those cooled coils so you can recollect your solvent. Basically like a, a limbic, but you're doing it under vacuum instead of at atmosphere. I've actually done stuff at atmosphere using like a traditional moonshine still that works to get your volume down. You just have to be careful of like your heats and stuff just so you don't over oxidize your products. Wild. You know, I actually used to have what I believe you just referred to as a roto evap. The high school chemistry teacher at the school I used to teach at was getting rid of it and he was downsizing his lab and he's like, hey, do you want this? And I look at this contraption. I'm like, what the fuck is this thing? And he's like, oh, you can make hash oils with it because we were kind of a hippie school. And I'm like, this is amazing and I want it. And then it just took up like space at my house because I never figured out how to use it. And now I wish I had it still. So yes, I'm looking into getting the Olympic closing remarks on the Olympic. I picture a bunch of wizards back in the day, just getting high as fuck on plant essences hundreds of years ago, maybe thousands of years ago without a care in the world. And it makes my heart melt. And I want that because somehow we got stuck here with climate change and massive social unrest 
and we're like casting spells against housing insecurity and peak oil and shit quite a different hand we were dealt and i just want to go back to that age of wizards where we're extracting essences and just getting like super high and vibey with the cosmos and everything is falling into its right place that's the vision i'm casting for the olympic we'll see if it happens i was gonna say i actually used that same analogy i i i was I had an assistant in the lab the other day. And I, I was like, here, hold this. But like, don't drink it or anything. That's literally a potion. You, you do that. Like, you're going to see stuff like that is not there. Like, yeah, it, it's great. It, it it makes me feel like an alchemist. It, it, it literally does. It, it, it's you're making magic. It's great. A lot of my extractions have been based around uh, lion's mane, cordyceps and reishi. Just like those big three, because those are easy to cultivate at home. You know, the, easy to get your hands on to play with. And I'm not selling any tinctures uh, actively. There, it's just been a home and R&D and stuff for like the consulting side of stuff. Right now, I've been primarily focused on sterile media uh, preparations and um, culture expansion. So, you know, if you find a strain that you like in my shop, I, Etsy, obviously, you know, I'm adding stuff. It, it's just my personal collection. You know, it, it, if I add something to my library, it's probably going to get thrown up in the shop at some point. I just got... Uh, Bavaria Bassiana in I might throw that up you know it's just yeah it's my hobby and it, it keeps it going pretty much yeah as far as genetics go that's something I've been trying to wrap my mind around because at the podcast and with Myco Day, our chocolate company, we're good friends with Mycoblast, if you're familiar with Mycoblast, and have gotten some amazing genetics courtesy of Mycoblast, including White Teacher, which have just grown robustly. They've been amazing. And I'm kind of in this phase now of where I've got nine different cultures going or nine different cultures currently and would love to add to that collection and the white teacher has just drastically outperformed everything else the albino penis envy the stargazer the wild texas i think there's one called don't quote me on this alakabazer or something like that but it's been really awesome to kind of like do more of the podcast and learn more from the side of the people who are actually breeding these things do you have any genetics currently that you're particularly fond of Right now, um, the culture library is uh, in-home bred from just monokaryotic things that I collect and put together. The prints I, I've, I've gathered from everywhere, mainly other cultivators. I start it from spore in-house, breed them together, or you know, I pick up cultures from other cultivators, and that's awesome. Michael Cowboy. Him and Mr. Poopy Substrates. He's another great Michael Panuri you should get on here. Shout out to him. They dropped like the super ape strain. It's literally size of softballs, just like giant. With the foraging, I have to drive somewhere. I'm actually out in backcountry, you know, out in that desert outside somewhere on the edge of Barstow. So it's it's pretty dry. Um, so I, I have to go to like San Bernardino forests or LA forests, or I have to go that way to forage. And you know, I, I've done it once or twice, but I'd like to do it more. What is that like right now with the supply chain issues? Because everyone I talk to, not even just in this industry, but like even my friend, I pre-ordered his vinyl record and he's an extraordinary musician. And he's like, you know, there's like such a crazy backlog to getting your vinyl press right now. And the same could be said with with mushrooms, right? Is unicorn bags having delays and they're like one of the biggest players in the game. And it seems like every, I talked to Alex Dorr about this from Mushroom Revival and he's like, Good fucking luck. He's like, good luck, man. If you're sourcing from China, which right right now 
My partner and I are actively sourcing kilos of functional mushroom extracts from China. And that in and of itself has been a whole song and dance to try to get that dialed in. But then these delays. So what's that like for you as a micropreneur having to try to get all of these different clean Petri dishes and agar, et cetera, et cetera, in the midst of this supply chain crisis? So for the plates themselves, I I, I, I'm, I have 20 blanks left and I'm begging people. I, I, you know, I'm posting to my... Uh, instagram story i'm like hey I, I just need a case or two is anyone local you know it's really hard to find a case right now i ordered plates back in middle august yeah early august middle august and then they pushed the delivery date back to like middle of november and i was like i just can't wait that long and yeah it, it, it's backed back ordered until oblivion it, it's ridiculous right now yeah uh there are people within the community trying to source local uh, manufacturers for plates and then they're trying to distribute within the community but it's still you know it's pivoting the the market to domestic manufacturers and that still takes time and it's yeah it, it's been a lot and it's like like i said i have 20 blinks left and i'm like i i you know i haven't had plates on the store for like a good month now and it's just it's a lot yeah we're seeing the impact of this supply chain situation everywhere too and as an example of that, here locally where I live, there's a, a store that sells plants and gardening substrates and whatnot. And they traditionally would always have vermiculite. And then like two months ago, they just ran out of vermiculite. And they're like, oh, it's backordered. So now I can get cocoa coir and I have lots of access to corn and cocoa coir because those are very regional plants or regional materials that grow. But I, I, you know, I've got perlite, but everyone I'm talking to is like, don't use perlite. That's not going to work. So we had to order in bulk on Amazon. And it just makes me think about like, we need to come up. There's this concept of mutual aid of like building very, you know, mutually symbiotic, symbiotic relationships with your friends and everybody kind of coming to the table with what you need. I'm like, how can we distill mushroom cultivation and production of these products to the most basic essence where people, even if you're in rural Uganda or like you're in the Philippines somewhere and you just got hit by a hurricane, you're still able to produce these medicines. So that's kind of where I'm at now. And there's got to be a workaround. There's got to be like something in the region that will work instead of vermiculite because, you know, and even sourcing our product from China, I'm very comfortable with the idea overall, but I think that it presents a whole lot of hoops and challenges that if we were able to produce what we want to, you know, I've got more of a hobbyist curve on this where I'm, I'm doing like, you know, one bucket of reishi or a couple bags of lion's mane or whatever. It's not going to produce the sort of volume that we hope to do with our chocolate or currently that we're doing. So anyways, that's just I, I love this idea of trying to localize as much as possible and and focus on using locally available materials and commonly available materials in your region to cultivate. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It, it, it's it, the whole aspect of mushroom growing is taking what you have and it's closing that biological loop of that permaculture. You know, a lot of people, you know, don't realize that mushroom growing is decomposing. It, it, it's you're, you're breaking down the last bit of your your soil your substrate you're you're throwing grain into rot in a specific way with a specific strain of fungus you know it's you're you're literally growing up a decaying matter but that is such a integral aspect of of that loop that everyone seems to overlook and it's just beneficial 
you know, it, it's, it's a way to create food. It's a way to create structure in your community. Coffee grounds is what I'm looking at now because I live in sort of an equatorial coffee growing region and there's just tons of grounds and people just throw them out right now. And I know, you know, it's been a couple of years since I've been hearing like oyster mushrooms love coffee grounds. So that's a, a project. I've got an iron in the fire right now. I'd love to hear about when you first got into growing mushrooms, Dinkelberg. Like how old were you? What was the vibe like? Did you just grow up in a mushroom growing family? Most people don't. What did that look like for you? No, absolutely not. Okay. So like, okay. Like I alluded earlier, I was really straight edge through, through high school and like the first couple of years of college, no, not even drinking. And then eventually I was like, okay, I can drink, you know, I'm tw- I, I was 20. It wasn't even like legal for me. So I don't know why I had that mindset. Um, but I was like 20 and I started drinking and then I kind of became like a little bit of an alcoholic and then things went off the rail with the stomach and then started smoking because that helped. But interesting enough my parents were like you should you should try weed i was like what they're like yeah my mom was like yeah i've I've been doing it for my anxiety it's it's great i was like so my mom put me onto weed at age like 21 like whose family does that it it just wasn't it it was like a very like i don't know i guess it's part of that societal change that's like happening anyways uh started smoking and then you know i I really liked edibles. I, I feel like a fiend for saying that, but like that extra psychedelic effect you get off of heavy edibles, I, I wanted more of that. And um, so so I grew mushrooms. But it, the, the aspect of growing mushrooms wasn't like, for me, for me it was Reddit and deep diving the shroomery and reading everything I could just because I'm very... Uh, I, book focused i don't even want to say book smart because it feels like i'm fumbling through everything when i grow you know it, it's like i've had every failure across the way like everyone else it, it's um but it, it it was really just reading through a lot of posts you know i want to a lot of great older cultivators came before me and i got to read their posts you know it, it, like people like roger rabbit fast fred i can't shout out his cookbook enough you know he has so many great agar recipes uh uh, Alan Rockefeller, he's awesome. I he, he's a great forager. He, he's a great mentor. You know, he, he's awesome. He's on the shroomery. Bod Bod has a million texts that are amazing. That like I basically used as my playbook for the first year. You know, he has a whole unmodified monotub tech. He has you know easy agar text. He has you know if you want to start at home, you, you follow those things and you read up. My first time cultivating it was. I, I, I'm surprised I had a harvest my first time cultivating. I went from spore print to spore syringe to grain to bulk sub. So for a beginner, that's like a weird expansion route to take, especially having to make your own syringe off a of print and like doing all that in like a still air box on like your computer desk. It, it, it was, it was a miracle that I got through it. It was crazy, but that that was the first time cultivating and it's it just i mean the first time it was beginner's luck and then the second time it was tritch and then the third time it was tritch and then the, you know that's just how it goes but yeah i used a kit my first time i don't remember where i got it from but it was awesome i'm trying to think of the name right now but it's been a minute but anyways i used a kit and i grew b plus or b positive still not sure how to 
phoneticize that name. And it worked. It popped off. And I'm not even sure how much of this tech was legit. Obviously, it worked. But a lot of people I know now are like, don't do that. Like, I use the oven tech per the manual, right? Where I'm like doing the transfer in a heated oven because I, I did not have a f- laminar flow hood or a still air box. But it was awesome to see the results and to get a canopy. And I think out of 12 jars that I got, like 11 of them fruited. And, you know, obviously there were a lot of things I could have done differently. And now where I'm at, I'm kind of trying to do it the whole way through. And it's been a trip, you know, cause, and that's what I tell people too, is like, I was in a integration circle I sat in on recently and people were talking about their relationship with mushrooms and how people want to build a, a more of a relationship and being more intentional. I'm like, well, you should fucking cultivate then. If you want to be intentional, if you want to have a relationship with mushrooms, it's not necessarily just like you go to the smart shop and you buy it. I have no problem with that. I think that option should be available. But when you're cultivating, when you're breathing life into this and being a steward of this organism and you're you're feeding each other, it just opens such a broader dimension to the experience. And I just am an advocate for Everybody should try their hand at this because let me be the first to tell you that I am not intuitive at all or it's not it doesn't come to me easy cultivation like even now I'm scared I'm like shaking when I put the gloves on and I'm trying to make cuts in my agar or whatever you know but I'm a proponent of like get some skin in the game and try it and you'll deepen your relationship a hundredfold. Straight up, true story, I was reading about all this stuff and I lived in an area at the time that was very equestrian and there were horses walking around my house. So I went out with my wife on a walk and like started collecting horse manure and she was mortified. I was like, I have this theory that we can grow mushrooms in the backyard with this horse shit. So I had like a backpack full of horse shit and all these like well-to-do, well-heeled people riding by and their horses were looking at me picking up horse shit. And I've just got this backpack full of shit. And then I went to our backyard and put the shit everywhere in the side of the yard and then just like planted mushrooms I had found there and it didn't work at all. So that was a steep learning curve. But after that, uh, she's come around to the idea more of cultivation now that we use corn and we use cocoa choir instead of horse shit in a half-assed capacity. Let's talk about intellectual property in the psychedelic space. I've heard a diverse array of perspectives regarding IP. There was a Vice magazine article, a Vice article that just came out this week. You probably saw about psychedelics being a multi-billion dollar industry and no one can decide who should control it, which I personally believe is a rather myopic way of framing the intersection between humanity and mushrooms. Like, why should anyone, quote, control it? Why can't it be a distributed system? But, okay, there's this idea that there's these large companies coming on, including several we've had on and several that we'll have the founders on in the future, biotech companies who are primarily concerned with developing IP. So I'd just love to hear your hot take on how do you feel about the commercialization of mushrooms and the direction the industry is going with all this frenetic social and political climate surrounding it? The commercialization's not really going to last with the mushroom climate. I mean, with cannabis, you're only seeing it last because like the big players can throw a lot of money at it and get like their price per pound down pretty quick, right? But like, anyone with a two by four closet space like they can push out 10 pounds a month like like yeah there's gonna be a lot of stuff on the market and there's gonna be probably prices through the ground and that's great because you want to use vitamin p like you you want it to be like a daily supplement like it shouldn't be extremely expensive to get a hold of with that being said 
the only way I, I see anything lasting with the psychedelic space, like long term, it, it's going to be the local small growers that are doing boutique exotic strains. It's not going to be the mass produced stuff, because if you look at the commercial cultivation of mushrooms, it, it's kind of secretive. But when you see like the fully automated monocultured, uh, like they're like 10 by 10 trays that they have 10 foot by 10 foot trays of just like one type of mushroom and it goes through automatic and they slice tens of pounds off at one sweep. I mean, they're, they've already perfected it. It's just like one, once they're allowed to go over it, it the whole market's going to pivot into a different way with IP. I, it's nature. I, I mean, you might get some guys trying to trademark a strain or something, but I don't, I don't see it holding up in any way, really. Um, and then even with like the bioengineers, you're going to get some people, you know, having bioreactors with yeast or bioreactors with E. coli or something. All it takes is like that strain getting out and then the home grower can cultivate their psychedelic yeast. Like it's, mushrooms has always been like this radical renegade type thing and it's like because you only need like a, a nanometer of tissue culture to grow an entire field of mushrooms like yeah you mentioned earlier about your consulting services and perhaps you've been tapped to consult with various commercial grows and whatnot we've had a few people on here including reggie harris recently who have talked about some of their experiences i'd be curious to know if you have any game you can share with people listening who might be approached with a similar situation where maybe they're a chemist or someone uh maybe they're a professional mycologists and they've got their own shine and then someone comes calling with this sweet deal and all of a sudden they're finding themselves surrounded by suits i've talked to two other people off the top of my head who have pretty mid-tier to large-scale cultivation operations who have been wined and dined and courted by these executives from bigger companies who are talking big numbers and the seven figures and whatnot and it's a slippery slope for a lot of people because you can be a mushroom cultivator and you can be a mushroom enthusiast and whatnot, but the world of business may be a very different thing for a lot of people. And so I'm just curious to pick your brain. Have you had any experience dealing with some of these larger grow operations that you can share with us? I've been tapped a couple times for consulting. A few times that I have consulted, um, it's been back and forth and like really mutually beneficial. And it, it, it's been with smaller teams, thankfully. If I've been tapped by a larger group, I've given stiff offers um, just so I can make sure I, I own what I need to own. Um, kind of like along the lines what Reggie was saying, you know, you need to make sure the offer on the table is fair. There's always been stipulations to not take it in a direction that I don't want to take it, if that makes sense. Like, there's always been stipulations or clauses where it's like I... I'm at the reins. I, I, I need the cultivation side because you don't get to mass produce just whatever you want to mass produce. It's, yeah, it's been stuff like that. It, it, it's, that's kind of my fear for this upcoming speaking arrangement I, I have. You know, how do you navigate that? It, it's not the easiest thing to navigate. I'm definitely a mycologist first and I really, 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 really enjoy working for myself. I think there's nothing more beneficial than kind of getting to choose your own hours and i'm not about to go work for somebody else you know it, it, it that kind of comes in tail with you know agreeing to a big business you know adventure stuff you know it's like 
yeah shout out james shout out michael symbiotics you know you got you got good you got good textures on your uh, cordyceps uh extract i can concur with that yeah i love the michael symbiotics team i'm a huge fan of everything they do and shout out james got to connect a little bit at telluride this year and I took some. Uh, I took two droppers full of their lion's mane extract this morning. We've covered a lot of what I was hoping to dive in today, and you've certainly opened my mind to a degree. I, I never. I'm constantly surprised on this podcast after I finish recording how much homework and research I have to do, which is part of the goal here. But I'd be curious to hear what are you working on next? What are you working on next? What's on the horizon for Bat Country Cultures besides trying to find a source of petri dishes? petri dishes shout out if somebody here has the plug hook my man up you can dm me or him what are you working on oh i mentioned uh bavaria bassiana earlier i um i'm taking up a breeding project just because i read a paper i want to try it you can breed a teleomorph out of the um the anamorph um uh, of bassiana uh, uh, and and, and it, it grows like a cordyceps with um ascospores and it, it looks like a white cordyceps i'm gonna have to find that paper and uh shoot that over to you it's interesting genetics matter uh look at your genetics like i said um that's the only way to be able to advance and stay in the game all right dinkelberg the one and only thanks for joining us on the michaelpreneur podcast we sincerely wish you continued success and prosperity and we look forward to following your work thank you for having me have a good one man There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Podcast. that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Michaelpreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Michaelpreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Michaelpreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Michaelpreneur podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.